Welcome to the Holy Smokes Podcast, a show about faith, friendship, fine tobacco and drink. I am Steve Ryder, and I am in Wayne Green's man cave, which you guys have named it officially. Wayne's World, right on. Most excellent. <laughs> I'm with Wayne Green, who uh, runs the, or is one one of one of the main organizers for the Holy Smokes Castle Rock group, and yeah, so I'm excited. Well, thanks for being on, my man. Yep, no problem. Thanks for coming by. All right, thanks so, for the cigar too. First question I open every podcast with: What you smoking? I'm smoking a Daniel Marshall Red Label, and uh, can I say where I got it? Yeah, yeah. Compliments of uh, the Steve Ryder podcast or the Holy Smokes podcast? Yes, yeah. So Daniel Marshall sent a box out of the Red Label. They didn't have any Black Label in stock, and so they sent some Red Label. I can't wait to try the, the Black Label, but uh, what do you think? Starting off great, or pertinent to the room here? Most excellent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I tried uh, my first Daniel Marshall Red Label last Wednesday at the Colorado Springs group, and it instantly vaulted up to one of my top five all-time cigars. I mean, it was so smooth, and I'm more, more of a Maduro guy, and right. uh, that one is a little bit lighter, and it's just smooth, buttery. It's just, oh. I agree. It's just great. It's starting off great. Yeah, so Daniel Marshall, check him out. I'm a fan. I have a Providencia Trinitas. So Jim over at Providencia sent some sticks, and this is my second Trinitas that I've ever had, and uh, I like it. But Wayne, you have a really—you told me right before, right when we got started—a really cool story about having Trinitas. Yeah. So Reed gave me a box of those, and the first one I had was was good. I wouldn't say it was great, but it was really good. I put it in my humidor for about, actually it was in my humidor for about a year. Every time I pulled one out, they got better and better. But the last uh, four or five sticks ended up with plume on them. And I mean, it's a beautiful sight, plume, when it's on (laughs) your cigars. And um, each one I lit up was just awesome. I did send a picture to Reed with the... you know, it's how we take pictures in Holy Smokes. Nice yeah. picture of the cigar with plume um, sitting on top of a glass of whiskey. So it was a nice way to um, say thank you for the cigar. <laughs> so, Wayne, you're a Minnesota kid. Oh, yeah. Where, where, born and raised? So, my dad was in the service. So, I was born at Fort Ord in California. Then we traveled all over. Uh, went to kindergarten in Germany. Had a sister that was born in France. Um, we ended up in... My mom was from uh, Wisconsin, actually. Jim Falls, Wisconsin. And went to school for a little bit yeah. in Wisconsin. Then ended up in Minnesota. So my relatives are Wisconsin, Minnesota. Yeah. That's where I spent my wonder years. I wonder why the heck I was there. <laughs> but, yep, from Minnesota, became a Vikings fan, all that kind of good stuff. So why, why, why did you go, why the Vikings? Why not the Packers? <laughs> you, had, you had influences on both sides. Uh, why? It's a little 
cousin rivalry, you know. All my cousins like the Packers. But oh, okay, so you just like to be different. Yeah, I like to be different. Plus, we I spent, understand that. I yeah. understand that totally. Yeah. Okay. Plus, we spent most of our time in Minnesota. That's where we live mainly. Okay. So where in Minnesota? Uh, the cities, Minneapolis. Okay. In fact, our house was probably 10 blocks away from where the new um, USA Bank or US Bank Stadium is. Okay. All right. So could have walked there or rode my wheelchair or whatever. Yeah. Now, when you say wheelchair, people that have not met you, you got polio as a kid, right? Yeah, I got polio when I was 10 months old. That young. That young. I was, um, so I was born in 53, late 53. So I got polio in 54. That's the year that Dr. Salk discovered the vaccine. Oh. Yeah. But he discovered it in 54, but it didn't come into usage uh, until I think 56 or something like that. But yeah, we were, my dad was stationed at Camp Roberts in California. And um, the story goes, my mom, called the doctors because there was I had fever and other stuff and the doctor says ah it was late at night he says oh he's just probably got the flu or cold or something give him a couple aspirin and you know yeah and we'll look at it in the morning my mom said in the morning I was more or less crawling along and just dragging my legs behind me oh no so and I don't know if it would have made much of a difference but yeah yeah so I uh, never really walked you know, on my own. Yeah. And so as it goes, as my dad was traveling around, yeah. when we were in Germany, I was uh, the March of Dimes kid and on the base. I was cute as heck, too. I had, <laughs> I had braces on both legs yeah. and crutches. Yeah. And, um, I mean, everywhere I went, I just got treated with love, I got to tell you. Now... What was it like for you as a kid growing up? I mean, we've seen in the last, I want to say probably 20 years, a real shift to culturally, as well as with the teenagers, really less bullying, more understanding of special needs kids, more understanding of kids you know, that mm. have some sort of handicap, special need, whatever you want to call it. What was it like for you as a kid? Well, mostly I got treated pretty well. I got treated better by the adults than... There's always bullies. There's always people that just, you know, they're just kind of... It's just ignorance is really what it is. And I'm not so sure if I didn't have this handicap that I would have gotten really treated any different. Okay. Somebody would have picked on me. But I, I always had a few people that picked on me. Yeah, but mostly in general, um, people loved on me. I mean, you've met me. You're, it's it's you, nothing you but are, love, man. You are a <laughs> very very special dude. I mean, I, I remember the first time I came up to the Castle Rock group, and uh, just the hug I got from you and our conversations, and over the years have you are one of my favorite holy smokers. And, oh, and, I appreciate and, and, that, and I mean that seriously. Even though you're a friggin' Vikings fan, <laughs> come on, but. <laughs> Everyone has, you know, their shortcomings. <laughs> now, just so people listening to this understand what's going on, Steve's a 
Wisconsin fan through and through. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a cheesehead. Cheesehead yeah. by birth, Coloradan by choice, but my allegiances lie with the Packers, Badgers, Bucks, and Brewers. Right. But my favorite hat is the Wisconsin hat because I still think the W stands for whiner. <laughs> but anyway, it's fun to go back and forth with you. Yeah, I, I, I like you're, that. You're part. moving down the ranks in terms of my favorite horse smokers. I'm just <laughs> didn't take much. <laughs> so, what kind of families did you grow up in? I mean, what did you? Your dad was in the military. What did your mom do? Siblings. So I have um, five brothers and sisters, including me. My family's pretty jacked up, to be honest. Mm. My dad died at 49 from alcoholism. And uh, my mom, to me, was a saint. But I don't know if it was the times or whatever, but she should have got rid of him a long time ago. But my dad was really, really bad news. Mm. This is all stuff that that accumulated over the years. My dad was... uh, as it turns out, was a pedophile. He was uh, a, a philanderer. I mean, he was always out chasing women. He could get his check on a Friday, and we don't know if we would see him that night or if we wouldn't see him for a couple of weeks because he'd take his check and he'd be out doing whatever. It was just really bad news. My oldest sister was actually not my real dad, so it was his stepdaughter. Mm-hmm. I found out after my mom had passed away, which was about three years ago, my oldest sister and I are really tight. Yeah. But she had a secret she hadn't told me, that my dad had raped her. But, you know, it's... I mean, I can't tell you how many times he's been in jail... In fact, we left. Was he in the military when, uh, he, was, when, he, when, he, when he would go to jail like that? Well, when he was in the military, I guess I should back up a little bit. When, as an example, when, when we were in, when he was stationed in Germany, the base commander was, he really loved me and my mom because of my disability and all yeah. that. Well, my dad was a philanderer back then, and he was always getting into trouble. So much so that, and we just found out about this, um, while my mom was pregnant with my youngest sister, my dad had got the base commander's maid pregnant. Wow. Yeah, so we just found out about six months ago that I have a half-sister who's now ended up in Northern California. Yeah. We just made the connection through the 23andMe kind yeah. of a thing. So this is the kind of nonsense that I went through growing up. My dad was into drugs, alcohol. He was physically abusive. And again, we left Minnesota in the dead of night because he had gotten into trouble, and this is back in the 60s. Yeah. Now, back in the 60s, if the law was after you and you crossed state lines, more or less, they'd have a hard time finding it. I think most of the time they're just happy to have you leave their state. Yeah. So he had left the state and went to California. And um, he was in California for about a year. And then all of a sudden he shows up one day and we were we had everything packed. 
left our house and moved to California. Mm. How old were you when your dad passed? I'd say 26 or 7. Did your mom ever leave him? Uh, he did. They finally did get a divorce. I got so many stories on all that, but yeah, they finally got a divorce, and my mom remarried, my dad remarried, and um, both the marriages that they went to didn't last, so they both got divorced, yeah. and there's stories that go along with that. And then my dad came back, and my mom and dad lived together. Why? Because my mom loved him. That's the only thing I, we could think of. But he was still a jerk. He was still doing the same stuff. So my mom was weak when it came to that part of it. So he lived with her until he died. And he had been in and out of the hospital. I mean, I can't even begin to tell you how bad this guy was. The doctors would tell him he'd go into the hospital because whenever you die from alcoholism, it's kind of a slow process in that you're in and out of the hospital sick with liver problems or whatever. And the doctors would tell him, you can't drink anymore. If you keep drinking, you're going to die. So you got to promise or whatever, you got to commit to doing what you can to to get off alcohol. He would drive home from the hospital and stop at a bar before he got home. So, I mean, he was indeed an alcoholic. So the last time he was in the hospital, we were all in the room, and he passed away in the room while we were there. And I was the last one to leave the room, and I went over, and, and I did, all I could do was just kiss him on the forehead. And that's where I was when he passed away. And then he, at the funeral, my sister, because you don't do this, you don't uh, raise a family in this kind of environment without it affecting everyone you know all your kids yeah so while we were at the funeral my sister as it turns out was on heroin and her friends robbed the house while we were at the funeral and took all his guns and all this other stuff so you talked about a messed up time in my life you know were you messed up as a kid as a young adult um no i mean i did my How'd you turn out so normal then? How'd you turn out so loving and just just the just the sweet dude that I know? Well, I appreciate that, and I've had people. You're not the first guy to ask me that. Because seriously, I know people all the time that they grew up in a garbage situation and it's post-traumatic stress, and they follow the same familial patterns, generational patterns, and then I see these these shining examples. Like, one of my college roommates grew up in a very messed up situation. I mean, his mom was not healthy, his dad was an alcoholic, but yet he and his twin brother have completely, his identical twin brother, have completely broken all all of that. And they have the most amazing families. Meanwhile, the rest of the siblings, one's okay, one's not, one's kind of... How'd you do it? So let me describe my siblings real quick. So my oldest sister was his stepdaughter. Yeah. Um, and then I'm the next oldest. Then I have a, a brother below me who's had a lot of problems with um, alcohol. And then my sister, who was a heroin addict. And then my youngest brother, who's also had problems with 
relationships, if you will, relationships, uh, alcohol, you know, kid stuff as you're growing up. Mm -hmm. So they were all treated differently than me. Because of my disability, because of my handicap, and I, like I told you earlier, I was cute as hell. <laughs> I've always been treated differently. I was loved on by everybody growing up. People just loved on me and took care of me. Or I'm going to jump forward real quick. Just like the guys in Holy Smokes, I mean, yeah, everyone takes care of me. But I've been loved on my whole life. Who are some of those people that from your childhood as well as young adult years really were like the shining examples of people that you looked up to, people that you admired, people that you had a great relationship with? Um, it seemed like I always had friends in school that were like that. You know, that that could see me or, or the natural instinct is to kind of be a protector if you will, and stuff like that. I always had people like that that were around me. And I had aunts and uncles and family members that, I mean, I was loved on by everybody. So to answer your question, I think the reason why I turned out loving, or whatever you want to call it, is because it, when you're loved on by people, just about everybody you meet, it is, that's what you give back. You know, I mean, it's been easy. You treat people the way that you're treated. Did your dad treat you differently than your siblings? My dad was pretty rough in that I think he didn't treat me differently. He was physically abusive. So, I mean, I remember one time whenever, whenever I said something to him and it didn't go over, I guess, he didn't recognize my sense of humor, and um, I was on my crutches, and he smacked me so hard I vaulted over the back of my crutches and slammed against the wall and just slid down. And uh, it was a learning experience because you mm. just got to watch what you say. And, you know, he wasn't of right mind, I don't think. But the one thing that he, he was really, really proud of what I did in school and things like that. I mean, he'd have people come over and he'd kind of like want to show off in that regard. Mm. But um, Do you know anything about your dad's story? Like what kind of, did he grow up in a rough childhood as well and just kind of pass that on? Um, yeah, he had uh, three brothers and um, they were, I don't think his dad was around. So I'll, I give him a bit of grace because, you know, I don't think his childhood was all that great. But between him and his brothers, they were all in the service. They all were trouble. They were raised in Albuquerque. And my dad told me, he says, we knew all the police. You know, all, all the cops know that, knew them. Yeah. His younger brother was in the Air Force. He was in a in a car accident and I think he was the only survivor I don't know if he was driving or not but they were drunk his older brother was a heroin addict and this was back in the days he lived till he was 90 something years old but he was on and he had been in prison a few times yeah. and again my dad had done all kinds of drugs so I think not having a father in a family 
really had an impact on him as it does just about every young man, you know. But whenever the dad is there and he's that abusive, yeah. I don't know what's worse. Yeah. So what did you do after high school? So I pretty much didn't really know what to do. We didn't have a family lineage where anyone went to college. Uh, graduating high school was like the big achievement. So I ended up working in a factory. Yeah. Um, and that's where I met Vicki. We were both working in a factory. Your wife. Yeah. And we were married uh, when she was about to turn 19 and I had just turned 19. So we got married. We yeah. had a kid shortly afterwards. Yeah. And now I'm raising a family on factory wages. Yeah. And I'm looking around and everyone that's working in this factory has been there for 30 years. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going, I cannot be in this place for 30 years. So I did go back to uh, junior college and I, I was really good at drafting in high school. So... I thought, well, I'm going to take some drafting classes or whatever yeah. at the JC. Yeah. So I was there for a year and a half, and I did really, really well. Went out and started looking for work, and I applied at like five different jobs. I had five different offers. Looking back on it now, God was right there. I made the right choice. Mm. Um, probably uh, two years after that, I had started my own company. What year did you... This was, uh, I think, 76 whenever I, I got out of junior college. How old were you at the time? I was probably 25, I think, okay. 23. I can't remember. Yeah. And I got to tell you, I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. I mean, just absolutely no idea, but it was the right. Let's just say Jesus has been betty, betty good to me. <laughs> but... I'm, I'm a guy who's more in the moment guy. I'm not a big picture guy where I, I can really see what way into the future what you know what's really going to happen. It's like oh I'm doing this now, and it's all good. So how old were you when God got a hold of you? I think it was like 51 or 52. Wow. All right. So let's talk about those years between. You know. Kind of talk about that journey. Well. Um, so Vicky and I got married. We ended up having three boys. I raised them with the mantra was, my dad made a lot of mistakes with me. Yeah. I am not making the same mistakes with my boys. So we had them involved in sports. Yeah. And I was involved. I was assistant coach for baseball, believe it or not. Nice. I, I mean, I could get out there and do batting. Yeah, you know, hit, hit hit balls to the kids and yeah. play catch and do all that stuff. Yeah, physically, I, um, I didn't know any bounds as far as I mean. I can ride ATVs. I've skied. I've done all this stuff, and we've got had our kids involved. So my kids were raised with. There are no limitations. Yeah, they yeah. saw it in you. Unfortunately, they don't treat me like I'm a limited dude. You know. <laughs> I'm older now, and yeah. they and they still see me as, oh, he can do this, he can do that. He's not, you know. That's wonderful. So, in those days, I started my a business, 
Um, what I do for a living is um, it's computer-aided design, and I design printed circuit boards specifically. Yeah. Back in those days, I had to stare into a light table. This is before computers. Yeah. Um, so I'd stare into a light table for about 10 or 12 hours a day creating these artworks. And I had a my shop was set up in a, one of the bedrooms at the house. I love the fact that you said artwork, not design, not... It's yeah. creative for you, isn't it? Oh, it's very satisfying for me. I love what I do because when I'm done... Back in those days, it took uh, more of a physical eye. You had to be able to manipulate this, yeah. this acetate tape and all this other stuff. And I could look at it after it was done, and I mean, I could see the beauty in it. So yeah. I, it was an outlet for my creativity. And now it's on a computer. And if yeah. you can picture, I start out with a blank screen. Yeah. And... I can almost see it before I even start on it, how it's going to end up. And there's so much satisfaction out of it that I wouldn't go so far as to say I would pay to do it. But if it wasn't in my life, I would really miss it. So I'm 66 right now, and I'm, I don't plan on, say, quote, retiring where I... It's an outlet for me. Yeah. And part of the outlet is when the customer is real happy with the work. So anyway, I started this business, and it, it kind of started, this is kind of another God moment that I can look back on. It started whenever I was in line to get a promotion at this company I was at, and I didn't get it. I didn't get it because the manager said, well, if I give you this promotion, then I won't have anyone to lay out my circuit boards. Oh. So I said, he says, are you okay with that? And I said, not really. I said, if something comes along, I'm gone. Two weeks later, I was gone. Yeah. Gone but where? I went to another... I was so upset, I went to this shop where I was actually working in a warehouse. They just had a light table set up in there, and the guy had no business hiring somebody like me. He couldn't pay me. Yeah. So after he couldn't pay me, I was like, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. And this is where God kind of stepped in. All of a sudden, I get a phone call from somebody that I had worked for before, and they go, hey, I heard you're not working over at this company anymore. We got some work. Would you care to do it, you know, as a consultant? Yeah. I said, yeah, I'll do that. And then another company called from somebody, an engineer I knew went over there, and he goes, hey, we got some work. Could you help us out? Before I knew it, I was too busy just, I mean, I was too busy, so I hired a couple of guys that would moonlight, and I could farm work out, and they were help. You know, I'd look yeah. it over and all that. And then before I knew it, I was working, uh, or I had bought my first computer. Back in those days, the computer cost like 150 grand. Wow. Yeah, so I had to put my my house on the line. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and I also got kicked out of the house because. Vicky didn't appreciate having these massive computers in the front room, and so I got a suite. And then I ended up getting, you know, I had about eight guys working for me. And I thought, well, now I have really made it. It was all me that was doing all this, of course. Yeah. Then I was, you know, having to make payroll every two weeks, and 
there's an old saying where you haven't lived till you've made payroll and started realizing that when my building or when my uh, business was growing that I realized that I needed a little bit more in my you know I'm still missing something I thought I had everything that I was really ever wanted yeah a business people working for me and all that but there wife was wife and kids wife, you had a great relationship kids. with oh we were living the California dream too we where had were you a, at in California at the time uh, Mission Viejo okay Southern California Southern California had the house the pool the view you know we were living the California dream yeah. but there was still something missing and uh I noticed there was a few of my neighbors were, uh, well, I was driving my son to school one day, and he asked me a God question. And I was I was raised Catholic. Okay. I call it raised Catholic. Quote, unquote. Yeah. yeah. But we weren't going to church or anything like that. There was nothing there for me. And I don't want to say anything bad about Catholics, but there was just nothing there for Vicky and I. Yeah. So anyway, my son asked me a God question, and I'm going... I don't know. About how old were you at the time, and was he? Uh, probably, well, I was definitely in my 30s. Okay. And he was, I think, uh, 12. Yeah. 12 or 13. Yeah. And I said, I don't know. And there was this thing called the Holy Spirit that must have just convicted me. Yeah. And uh, I had noticed that there was neighbors that were stopping in at this church that was on the corner yeah. that we would go I would go by it almost every day and I thought you know there's something there for me yeah so I called the church up and we decided the pastor was real nice said, yeah come on by on Sunday and ask for me and so we met with him and and uh this is kind of funny so we've always gone to a Catholic church. You know, it's very yeah, holy water. Ritualistic. Yeah. By the way, I had a hard time genuflecting in the Catholic church. Yeah. Couldn't really get down on a knee when yeah. I made the sign of the cross. Yeah. <laughs> so I told Vicky, what we're going to do is we're going to sit in the back of the church. Yeah. You know, we're going to kind of go in incognito and just see how we just check this place out, see how we like it. What kind of faith journey did she have? She grew up Catholic as well, you said? Yeah, we both went to, I went to parochial school for two years, and she went, I think, just at least through her elementary years. Yeah. And that's another story to uh, Vicky's past. But anyway, so we went to church, and we thought we were going to sit in the back, but we walked in, and all the old people were already there. <laughs> <laughs> So we were forced to find a seat kind of in the middle. Yeah. So, so it was Mission Vale Christian Church. We found a place to sit down, and there were some people already sitting there, and they go, hey, how are you? And they started talking to us, and it was like, you know, this is, we're in at church. Are you supposed to, like, talk out loud in the church, you know, before it starts? And anyway, they were very, very uh, welcoming. Yeah. And then during the service, the pastor goes, we have some new people today. You know, Wayne and Vicki Green, could we have you stand up? And it's like, oh, my gosh. So uh, there was, I think, another couple yeah. that also had. So we stood up, and everyone applauded. After church, everyone, uh, I won't say everyone, but we had people coming up to us, introducing themselves, and 
they just loved on us right away. So you weren't intimidated by that. You weren't scared off. We haven't seen church like that. Again, we went in. We found a place to sit at the Catholic Church. Yeah. And you go through. You listen to the sermon. You know, you're kneeling, kneeling, standing up, doing all this. We didn't have a connection in the Catholic Church. And again, I don't want to say anything derogatory about the Catholic Church. It just we didn't make that connection. Yeah. And this was just so different to us. It was exciting. We wanted more of it. Yeah. And eventually, and the other thing we were we weren't going to do is we weren't going to get baptized. We had already been baptized. Forget this baptism thing. We're not doing this. So um, we were making connections. We had no idea what we were getting into. We started making connections, and we got involved in a home group. Yeah. Again, just I can't even begin to tell you how we just did not have a clue. We were clueless. Yeah. And we started learning about the Bible. We started learning about this baptism thing. Yeah. And then we had one guy in that was kind of leading our home group, and he says, you know, you should really get baptized. And he was explaining it. Yeah, no, I, we've already been baptized. It's already, we've mm-hmm. been there, done that. And the more we understood it, he goes, you know, we could do this today. You got a jacuzzi in your backyard. And that Holy Spirit just said, you have no good reason. So we got baptized in our backyard. And it was explained to me that I was able, after I was baptized, I, I baptized Vicki. And then later, I was able to baptize my son that started this whole deal. Yes. Was he number one, two, or three? He was three. Okay. The oldest was already moved out. The second one was still living in the house. Unbeknownst to me, he had gone and gotten baptized with some of his friends. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't say a word word about it. Yeah. And then um, I ended up baptizing my son and daughter-in-law. So it was pretty cool. So you were in your 30s at the time when that happened, yet you, yet you said that God really got oh, a hold of you when you oh, were 51. Oh, yeah, I was, I guess I was closer to my, in my 50s. Okay. Yeah. Well, I was 50 whenever I got baptized. Okay. All right. When I started my business, I was in my late 20s. Yeah. So I was running the business until for quite a while. Yeah. So, okay, how'd you end up here in Colorado then? Um, my oldest son's wife is uh, from Littleton. And she was in California and they got married and they would come out to, um, he would come out to Colorado mm-hmm. and he loved it out here. So whenever he had a, and he worked for me, he came out here and he saw an opportunity to move. Mm-hmm. So he did it. I didn't realize how much he hated California. Mm. He says, I got to get out of here. I can't mm-hmm. take this anymore. And I, after living in Minnesota, I says, Have kids at the time? They had no kids. Okay. He'd send me pictures of snow on the ground out here, and I'd seen enough snow in Minnesota. <laughs> that I didn't want to ever go back into the snow. 
I can identify with that. Yeah. <laughs> so he was sending me pictures, and I'm going, good luck with that. You know, yeah. we'll come out and visit. Yeah. But then they played a trick on us. They had a granddaughter. <laughs> and by this time, my business was such that I can work anywhere in the world as long as I have an Internet connection. Yeah. So we came out mainly because, well, not mainly, but because of the granddaughter. Yeah. And now we've got four grandkids. Yeah. And the timing was good, too. Uh, my youngest was graduating high school. He thought that he wanted to hang around California and had to explain to him that it's high school. This is where everyone takes off and flies away. Yeah. So he was on board with it. So all three of the boys were out here, and uh, our family is out here. How has it been now? As a family, having that common faith element between you all. I mean, you, you, it sounds like you got a good family before that. Did it change things at all? Did it deepen that relationship? I don't have a good barometer on that. Okay. My kids, they don't have the walk going on right now. Mm. And for any parent, where that's not happening it's heavy on your heart it's real heavy on my heart yeah and um i'm at a place now and it changes all the time but i'm at a place now where i'm not responsible for their walk yeah they have to take responsibility for their walk yeah all i can do is set an example yeah and the one my kids all know where i'm at and they all love this holy smokes thing too you do know? they oh yeah it's beautiful so my oldest son, when we have family gatherings and all that, yeah. you know, we pray, or I pray. And um, my middle son told my oldest son, and my oldest son relayed this to me. He goes, Brian really loves it when you pray. Mm. I'll take that. Mm. I'll take that all day. Mm. But I'm sure I, you guys have some really good conversations when you have cigars together. Now, how do you know we all have cigars together? We do, by the way. They love Holy Smokes, he said. So. Yeah, yeah, they love Holy Smokes. We do. And I'm sure this room right here is a nice place to... Christmas just... Eve, sitting in these chairs, me and three boys. And it's just... And the women are in the other room. It's just me and three boys. Yeah. It's awesome. It is. So, women are in the other room. Any grandsons? Uh, in the four? Yeah, two grandsons, two granddaughters. They're all awesome kids. What are the ages right now? The oldest granddaughter, the one that really got us to come out here, is uh, 14. Okay. The next one is 13. The two daughters are the oldest. And then the oldest grandson is 12 and then the youngest one is seven yeah gotta make sure i get that right anyway i am just so blessed i mean god has blessed me in really every facet of my life yeah so as someone myself who has made this journey from employee to solopreneur to so having a team 
and people that I'm paying now on a regular basis, freelancers and staff, it has been a journey. Oh yeah. What are some of those biggest lessons and stumbles and that you can relay to someone in the audience right now that's kind of on that journey themselves? They may be in that moving from employee to solopreneur, sole proprietor, LLC, just them, to making this journey where you had staff. What are some of those things that you can kind of pass on to them? The biggest thing for me was how you treat people. Yeah. And um, I would say if you have any employees, you know, treat them the way that you would want to be treated. Not just uh, professionally, but just, you know, personally as well. Um, when I had the staff of eight people, this is really small potatoes compared to yeah. you know, Amazon, but what we I really got to start somewhere. Exactly. What I recognized, I think, was people are showing up, employees are showing up, but I, to make money, to pay their bills. And, you're, and they're there eight hours a day at least. They need to be happy in that environment. And what I found was the productivity is better if they feel like they can take ownership of what's going on, mm. you know? Mm -hmm. So everyone that worked for me loved coming to work. And the reason I can say this is because very, very rarely did anyone even take a sick day, you know? Yeah. The way I worked it was, I understand you have kids. If you've got a soccer game to go to, or if you've got a soccer practice to go to, or if you have to do some running around, just hit me up that you've got to leave for a few minutes. You don't even have to tell me what it's all about. Just make sure you get your time in. Mm -hmm. Once a year, well, every Friday, I would take everybody out for lunch. Once a year, we'd go to Vegas. <laughs> and I'd, I'd get everybody hotel rooms. Yeah. Give them a couple hundred bucks. Families included? Um, or just... If they wanted to, but yeah. they'd have to share the same room. Yeah. And then, you know, I'd take everybody out for a buffet while we were there. And we'd go out for a Christmas dinner and stuff like that. But in that time, I didn't have employees. I had, I had friends working for me. That's beautiful. And you're getting a little choked up when you say that. Relationships are huge in my life, in everyone's life, but yeah. You genuinely care about them. Absolutely. That's beautiful. I'm around those people more than I'm around my own family. So it's got to be nice for me, too. Yeah. And I was gender neutral as far as my employees. I yeah. didn't care if they were male or female. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So where's your business now? in terms of how are things going? So, as I mentioned earlier, I'm 66. Yeah. And I haven't been here before. So, I don't know if retirement is... I don't see myself as retiring. Mm -hmm. I just want to work less. Mm -hmm. For the last 30-some years, 30-plus years, I've had one employee who's... Uh, Work for me from Oceanside. Last year, I we've kind of cut the cord where he's 
I have him set up as uh, he started his own shop. I yeah. turned customers over to him. I've just kept a couple of customers for me. So I'm in the process of winding down. Yeah. Uh, just want to keep doing what I'm doing, but not so much of it. Yeah. So that's what I think my retirement looks like. Yeah. I'm hoping that it keeps me sharp, you know, by doing something. It keeps the creativity juices flowing. Yeah. And the customers that I have are very appreciative of the work that I, of the service that I perform. Uh, a lot of them are worried that I'm going to retire and I'm not going to be around to do their work. Yeah. And my customers, I treat the same way as my employees, if you will. I yeah. don't work for customers. I work for friends. One of the guys I'm doing work for now, Yeah. I knew him before he got married, before he had kids. Now his kids are off to college. You know, relationships, I think, is if I were to give any advice to anyone that wants to take it, it it's all about relationships. If you get that right, I think everything else falls into place. Yeah. Wayne Green, thanks for letting me hole up here with you in Wayne's world. Wayne's world. And uh, let's get to rapid fire questions. Rapid fire. Fire. <laughs> cigars or pipe? Cigars. I figured I'd know yeah. that answer. Favorite cigar? Oh, that's a tough one. I really like the Liga Pravada number nine. I have so many favorites, though. Probably like a lot of other cigar smokers. Best dollar for dollar smoke? Probably the Leaf by Oscar. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, I like that one. I would like them to become a sponsor on the Holy Smokes podcast. <laughs> Most expensive cigar you've ever smoked? Did I have to pay for it? The most no. expensive cigar I, I had was uh, the Cohiba Bihike. Yeah. Actually, that was compliments of uh, the senator from Colorado Springs. Ah, Owen, Owen Hill. Owen. Yeah. Yep. Thank you, Owen. Your go-to place to get smokes? I'm an online guy. So I also like the shark, the Fuente shark, number 77. Yeah. So, so I get those from Tampa Sweethearts. Favorite liquid pairing with your smoke? Uh, whiskey. What kind of whiskey? Oh, there's so many good ones. <coughs> I'm just not all that picky. Yeah. It's got to be a good whiskey. I don't want to have it interfere with a good time, as long as it's whiskey. Most memorable cigar experience? Gosh, I had... Just off the top of my head, because we were talking about Owen Hill. Yeah. I'll talk about the day that uh, I met Owen at Churchill's with uh, Demetrius and Kay. Yeah. And Nathan. I was smoking a Siri D. Yeah. Number four. And Owen Hill had to get back to the shop, and he says he didn't have time for, to smoke the Bihike, so I gave him a Siri D. Yeah. So that was a good time. All right. Marvel or DC? I'm a Marvel guy. Star Wars or Star Trek? Oh, Star Wars. Favorite food? The right answer is to say anything my wife puts in front of me, <laughs> but I love a good steak. 
Dogs, cats, neither, both. Dogs. Nickname growing up or as an adult? Gimpy. Gimpy? Gimpy, yeah. You're smiling when you say that, so it doesn't look like it's... I love... I won't say making fun of myself, but putting people at ease with my disability. And I love it when people jump on that bandwagon and they, and they give it back to me because I see it bring a smile to their face. Yeah. I'm gimpy. So you have a brace on one leg. Right. And not on the other. What was that journey like? So I had polio from the waist down. Uh, both legs are affected. I used to have braces on both legs. Yeah. And one day, I used to go to Shriners Hospital. I want to put a plug in to Shriners. Yeah. They made a huge impact on my life. One day, we were there in the hospital, and the doctor said, oh, he doesn't need a brace on his left leg. But this leg is still very limited. I can't lift it up. or I... Anyway, it is what it is. What's one unusual fact that few people know about you? I get the impression people think I'm happy all the time. I'm not. I'm like everybody else. But I'd say 99% of the time, God is good. I mean, God's good all the time, but I struggle like everybody else. So I just found out one other fun little fact about you. Because of the polio, you have, you have to get different size shoes. I do. A little bit of background on that. So when I was in the fourth grade, no, I'm, uh, well, I was young. Yeah, I think it was fourth or fifth grade. I had staples, what they, they called staples, in my left leg. Yeah. And um, what they did was they scraped my growth plate on my left leg because on my right leg, I wore a, I had a two-inch lift on my shoe mm -hmm. because my legs were unequal length. So the idea was to scrape the growth plate so that my right leg would catch up. Mm -hmm. So that happened where my f legs are equal length. That's one of the reasons why I'm so short. But one of the other things that happened was my right leg hasn't grown like it should have so I wear a size 8 on my right leg on my right foot and then I wear a size 11 on my left foot so I have to buy two pairs of shoes so my whole life I've had to buy I've had to pay for two pairs of shoes and it's not only that but I've they have to be the same style yeah with two different sizes yeah so that can get to be hard to find in yeah. itself so I've always paid for two pairs of shoes and still until a big shout out to Skechers Skechers allows me to go in and buy two pairs of shoes but pay for one so Skechers Skechers shout out and they have a you know they have a good selection yeah are you a reader I'm a listener so I've been listening audiobooks. to yeah audiobooks Reading puts Favorite me, books? What kind of books do you like to um, listen to? Some of my friends are going to laugh. I'm still listening to George Washington. It's a long book. Which one? Is it the Ron Chernow? Yeah, the Ron Chernow. I just finished that one, and it is outstanding. Yep. What an incredible human being. Yep. I mean, as a military tactician, he was very subpar. 
he almost kind of lucked into mm-hmm. winning. He, he basically lucked into winning that war. But as a rallier of people, as a general in terms of keeping that army together with all of their all the things going against them. I mean, you had an ineffectual Congress that couldn't get the states to support the war financially. I mean, the Articles of Confederation were, were, it was something that was feckless, ineffectual. So what I'm getting out of it... Where are you at in the book right now? Where uh, The Revolutionary War has ended and they're starting to form a government. One of the fascinating things about that book that I found out that I did not realize was that the Congressional Congress was actually could have been deemed an act of treason because of the Articles of Confederation. And so there was a great deal of threat for those meetings. Oh, yeah. That, to me, was absolutely fascinating that Washington and all of those people that were involved in that Congressional Congress were, in effect, almost treasonous against the Articles of Confederation. So what I'm getting out of it is... Leaders are flawed, and they make mistakes. Yeah. But there's many times that Washington should have just given up. But he wanted to. Yeah, he wanted to. He wanted to retire. After the war, he wanted to retire and not, not right. they, be a part of the Congressional Congress and become absolutely. president and all that stuff. But just like today, our leaders are flawed, and I guess the good ones make it. If you were arrested with no explanation, what would your friends and family thought you had done? Oh, my gosh. Well, with today's environment, they probably would have thought that I hugged the wrong person. You know. (laughs) (laughs) What has Holy Smokes meant to you? Well, it's been awesome in, in the respect of when I'm in a group, whether it's just two guys or 20 I can look around the room and I can't find a guy that I just don't like, if not love. It makes it so much better smoking a cigar because you're going to be around for a couple hours at least to be in that environment. I just love all the guys. And whenever there's, if there's something inappropriate said by somebody because we're not perfect, I just hope that when I say somebody, it's probably going to be me. But if it's somebody else, I just hope that there's enough grace to go around. So I know I've said some things that I think are funny that don't always hit the mark. And I always worry about I might offend somebody or they might have taken it the wrong way. And so much so that I've gone back to them. and uh, Which you've done to me one time. And I, I was like, I... Yeah. 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 I, I'm, it's probably about the Wisconsin thing. I don't remember. <laughs> But uh, I'm, which which is something that I appreciated. I mean, even though, it, and it, for me, it helped to elevate a, a level of respect for you. That whoa, all right, this dude's able to you know look back and just make sure everything's cool and just make sure that you know I wasn't offended. That's something that's admirable. Well, I'm a little guy. I don't want to get my butt kicked either. <laughs> There's, you kind of tower over me. But, uh, yeah, I'm real sensitive to hurting other, you know, somebody else's feelings. And just in general being sensitive to other people's feelings. And the guy I feel that is in the brother, who's my brother in that regard, is Paul Fleetis. Paul, oh, yeah. 
Yeah. For any listeners that haven't heard that interview with Paul, go back. That is an absolute must listen to. I think it's episode number seven. I'm just thinking off the top of my head. I think it's Paul Felitas, an amazing story. So you guys meet here, and we, and we talked about this on a previous episode focusing on the Castle Rock Group. But for people that are traveling to Colorado, or they may be in the Colorado area and want to kind of just check out the Castle Rock Group, you guys meet every Friday, noon to 2.30. Um, there's a Holy Smokes Castle Rock Group on Facebook specifically, and you guys also post in the main Facebook group. Right. Talk a little bit about, you know, that group and anyone that's interested can obviously go back and listen to that Castle Rock episode, but talk a little bit about the group and uh, when you guys meet, where you guys meet. So in the summer, we generally meet on the back deck of my house. And if you were to show up, my wife Vicky's awesome. She usually makes some good food to eat. There's always libations. And there's good conversations. And if you don't have a cigar, and I'm not the only one, but we have cigars here for you, so don't worry about running off somewhere. <laughs> and then in the winter months, we used to meet here in this room, but we've had 16 guys in here twice smoking cigars, and the system wasn't meant for 16 Puffers, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so in the winter times we meet at um, Smoker Friendly in Castle Rock, and you can Google it. But they've got a nice lounge there that seats probably I don't know they can they can get twenty guys in there if they had to. But Demetrius has opened up his house; he can get um, a few guys in there. His smoking room's awesome, and when he gets his backyard finished um, I'm pretty sure we're going to be meeting either my backyard or his backyard and then we have another guy Alan McKinnon who's opening up a place he's in Larkspur which is fairly close to Castle Rock yeah and uh, uh, Neil and Alan have both opened up their place but if you're going to come by check out Facebook to find out where we're going to meet all right last two questions if you were to have a holy smoke with any three people throughout history, living or deceased, who would they be? Can't name Jesus. Well, for sure, Churchill. And you probably get that one a lot. Yeah. Why? I think I'd want to have a cigar with him. To I love humor. And I have a feeling he had a great sense of humor. And I'd like to have the opportunity to pick up on that. The other person is my... Um, I would have liked to have had one more cigar with my brother. Passed away, mm. I think it was last year. Mm. And that's another big story, but, but one more cigar. Mm. And then the other one, believe it or not, I'm a political guy, political junkie. Yeah. I'd like to have a cigar with Trump on the golf course. I can't play golf. But we could just ride around, you know, Miralago or something, smoking a cigar. Churchill, your brother, and Trump. All right, final question. If we're to meet one year from today, and I got a bottle of your favorite whiskey, what are we cracking that thing open to celebrate? One year today, if I even had one of my kids come to me, 
and say, and I could just tell he was all in for the Lord. I'd even buy the champagne. But yeah, that'd be awesome. All right, Holy Smokers. We have a prayer point for Wayne. Wayne Green, thanks for letting us hole up here. I love you, my man. You are one of my favorites. Thanks for being on the Holy Smokes podcast. Thank you. And I wish I could say I'd pray for Wisconsin, but I can't do that. (laughs) I love you, brother.